Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. I am joined once again by my anonymous guest, The Insider. And uh, as last time when we did our first interview together, I am disguising his voice and I do not know who this individual is. I honestly don't. So, um, so this is a person who has contacted me and is uh, uh, still, according to him, he is an, is still actively in good standing with the Church of Scientology right now. They don't know he's been talking to me. And also he has been in communication first before he reached out to me with Tony Ortega, the uh, journalist who runs the Underground Bunker. And you can see reporting there uh, from the insider. So now that he's reached out to me, we've been doing uh, a, a short now. This is our second interview together. Welcome back to the show, Insider. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, you taking the time and reaching out to me and, and talking in such detail about all this stuff. It's really been quite a blast, I got to tell you. <laughs> yes, it's uh, cathartic for me as well. Excellent. Well, that is always my goal is to try to help everybody in this. So. Uh, I think the data that we have been um, giving out, especially because it corroborates so well by what Catherine Olson had to say in her three-part interview, which you've now seen, and with other sources of information, everything you know that Tony's been reporting and stuff, it all's kind of coming together quite well as a developing sort of picture here of of Scientology experiencing some real trouble these days, some real, real, real problems. Um, and you have literally an inside view. Uh, so we're going to continue our, our talk here today. And last time we sort of teased a couple things that we're going to uh, go into here today. One of those is this chase wave, this financial credit scam and a series of things that Scientology the church is engaged in, in order to sort of pull the wool over the eyes of Chase and Navy Credit Union and some other financial institutions. And um, and then kind of what's the view now from inside? What's it like to be a public Scientologist? That's something I was only, you know, for a couple of years, I was a public Scientologist. So I'll be very interested to hear you know uh, what the what the view is from inside on this now. Uh, so so let's go ahead and get started. Yes. Well, before I go into how the money was obtained and the whole debacle there, I think it's important to understand what exactly Scientologists were spending their money on mm-hmm. and the position that that left them in. So in a way, we're going to start here at the end of the story um, and then explain how we got there. So uh, a Scientologist today, most of them are so completely inundated with debt that uh, they have no ability to give any more money to Scientology, even if they wanted to. That is probably 80% of Scientologists today. Um, Wow. Where that money went, yeah. Where that money uh, went was basically split between three different things, I would say. Mm -hmm. You have the building funds, so that would be ideal org, but then there's also the event hall at flag uh of course the flag building itself a lot of fundraising was being done for that and all these other things um and then finally the is and you know two of those two uh excuse me let me back up a little bit Mm -hmm. you have money going to the buildings you have money going to the is and you have money going for services and one thing that really changed as you'll see over the last uh decade is the percentage of money going for services dropped out and the percentage of money going to IS or building funds went way up. And, uh, and, and that, and that was an effort that goes all the way back to, um, really the late nineties and early two thousands when Miscavige sort of changed the course of the direction of what Scientology was basically what its priorities were. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it was also just such a profitable endeavor yeah. that it made the most sense to do it. Yeah. You know, as the organization shrunk, uh, there were less auditors to deliver. It, it became uh, 
impossible, even if even if the organizations class five or C org were auditing at full capacity, it wasn't enough money to meet the demands. And so it, it was almost uh, by design, but also by necessity. Very interesting, very interesting. And I will just take a moment to stress here that at least according to Hubbard's going back to the original, you know, source of Scientology and how Scientology was envisioned or supposed to grow. Hubbard was crystal clear in, in numbers of times over and over again throughout his his written issues that Scientology was to expand through service sales and material sales. The books and materials and the services were what was supposed to be sold in quantity in order to expand Scientology, not, as he put it, raffles or, or you know, fundraisers. And it's very interesting how that completely, you know, went 180 degrees under Miscavige's direction, uh, really kind of starting in the, in the 90s, I think. I would agree, yes. And, you know, as with many things in Scientology, everything is a bit of a double buy. And uh, there are so many contradictions. And for instance, the just to illustrate the pressure that is put on a class five reg, um, a somebody who is selling in a local organization, their target statistic weekly per the programs that they run the organization on sent down for management is each registrar, each salesperson is to take in $50,000 every single week. Wow, those are the quotas now. Wow. Okay, there we go. Yes. Well, that is no big deal. 50,000, you know. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, I knew I, I don't five organizations back in the day didn't even make that much in a year. Wow. Good times. Yeah, so the pressure um, that's been on these registrars um, for so long is just insurmountable. And then on top of that, you have every IDO org is demanded to have uh, an IES event every single month. And, you know, any C-Org group that wants to show up and rip your public off for whatever they feel like ripping them off for you know, has full authority to do that. And you better roll out the red carpet. for them. That's right. That's right. And in fact, it was those, I mean, just in terms of how the, the sort of operating pattern of, of life at the, at, the, at the city level, the class five church level, um, you know, they often were sort of famously not as high pressure as the Sea Org guys. And so the Sea Org guys would roll into town, somehow produce $50,000, $100,000 from, from the people in the area. And sometimes we in the, at the Class 5 level would just be scratching. Well, how did they do that? Where did they get all, how did they, they find all this money out of our public that can't seem to ever pay us, you know? It was a real dichotomy of, of, of pressure, you know. That's a good way of putting it, a dichotomy of pressure. <laughs> you have it from both sides, and you're stuck somewhere in the middle with really nowhere to go. Yeah. And that's the position that all Scientologists are in right now. You know, you have, you're completely inundated with debt. You're being demanded to follow these insane protocols to this day if you want to actually be on services. Um, you have really no community or organization left beyond uh, maybe the shambles of whatever your org was before. You know, there are um, buildings that sit, sit empty and have sat empty um, that are supposed to be ideal org buildings to open up. You know, so it, you have this disparity between what's coming from management right now, what's coming from Miscavige is we are great, have greater expansion than ever before. And that's the same line he's always said. But in the present moment, it is impossible to believe that. No matter how much you've drunk the Kool-Aid, you cannot believe that that statement is true because there is just an overwhelming preponderance of evidence to the contrary. Right. And that's part of that statement I've made, you know, of, of why it is or how it is that people do start breaking out of an extremist mindset or headspace or a place where, you know, this unquestioning loyalty to a, to a following or to a group or to a cult leader, you know, where does that come from? Well, it comes from this faith and this emotional investment that this group or this person or this, this activity 
is 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 as pure and right and righteous as it as anything can be and so you don't have to question it you don't have to think about it you can adopt all these thought stopping clichés or ideas or mantras or whatever that are just absolutely true and you don't and you can be in a passionate daze about it and it's and it's all wonderful but when things start happening that violate your sense of right and wrong and it is and it is no longer uh, it's it's irrefutable it's so in your face that it is undeniable that's when you that's when all that stuff starts falling apart it just starts shattering like you know like a broken window and and you start seeing what's really going on and it sounds like that's kind of happening more and more and more now inside that bubble world and that's what that's that if anything is the core idea of what i'm so excited about these days yes and i think i will uh punch up again that this is a very unique situation Mm -hmm. in scientology um i think if we look historically at all the work that's been done to expose scientology by yourself and others um one of the most debilitating blows dealt, single blows, were was done by the organization Anonymous, in my opinion. Yep. Yep, I agree. It was something that, yes, it was something that Scientology was unable to fight back against. They didn't have a target to ridicule and harass and attack and threaten. That's right. And at re- that time, I- they still had some teeth. Right. You're referring back to the 2008 year-long, two-year-long series of protests that Anonymous engaged in, both on and offline, against the Church of Scientology. Yes, exactly. So I I bring that up because, um, you know, I've talked about the inevitability of the fall of Scientology. But um, we talked about conspiracy theories last time. And one of my big problems with all conspiracy theories is that they never lead to anywhere other than buy my product and wait for the plan to, to fall into place. Yes. And I want to differentiate myself from that. And that if I believe that was the case, I would not be having this conversation. with you. So I do think there is something that can be done in the present moment. And I, I know you feel that way because you're still actively doing it. That's right. So, you know, we're in a, we're in a unique position here where this is the, this is the last push I think needed to send Scientology over the cliff to uh, a place where they no longer have the power and influence that they have. Whether the organization or the culture or the technology exists for another hundred or thousand years, well, that may be the case. But if we can render Scientology through, through the truth, can render Scientology inert, that would be a death in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And we certainly do want to see. I think we are, I think we're definitely, regardless of whatever kind of vision or outcome we imagine might or might not be happening right now, I think we can very firmly agree that these are very troubled times for this organization. And given its track record and the history of incredibly bad decision-making that happens from the top, we, you know, we have good reason to believe minimally that this thing is not going to experience uh, a change or a reversion or a re, you know a renaissance of some kind, um, you know, given the the sort of the, the the vector that it's on, right? Could that all change? Of course it could, but will it? It seems more and more unlikely. That's kind of what I feel safest saying right now. Well, yes, and my hope with what I'm doing is that I will. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say as a, as a comment on the Catherine Olson interviews, I think those interviews really showed people, especially Scientologists and Sea Org members that are still inside, that you can leave without becoming homeless, that you can get help, you can establish yourself, even after decades in the Sea Org. And, you know, having uh, not had access to a real understanding of the real world, you can get help. And that is a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moment in terms of people's understanding of what it means to actually leave Scientology. And um, really what I'm doing is trying to provide that same kind of a route out, you know, blaze a trail for someone to say, well, there is a way to leave Scientology, Um, whether that be the way that you are, you know, outspokenly or simply fading away or maybe speaking out anonymously. You know, that is an avenue. That's right. And it will deal a blow. Yep, that's right. I mean, that's how I started. I started anonymously speaking up 
you know? So absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think everything contributes. So, um, so do we want to, well, I think we should get into this chase wave stuff and then maybe circle back around to the view from inside. Yeah. Sounds good. Excellent. So let's go ahead and start where you would like to. We've covered a few things about what this chase wave was. What, uh, how would you describe or define what was happening? What did you observe or hear about? Well, so in summary, um, just to say this first in the present moment, Scientologists are broke and uh, here's why. So, you know, we, we call it the chase wave and it's a nice catchy name, but chase is just one of the many, many institutions that were used to get money in order to funnel money to Scientology, whether for the buildings, uh, for the IS or for services. And where this really kind of started, um, at least in the way that it manifested this time around, this is a cyclical thing, it's happened before. Uh, where it really started was in 2013 and 2014 at the PAC base. Um, at some point there, the, the LA org was switched from being a staff run org, meaning Scientologists that sign either a two and a half or a five year contract um, and do not commit to the Sea Org one billion year contract. Um, and at some point at that time, they switched it over to being a Sea Org org where the organization was manned by Sea Org members on a billion year contract that work a full-time schedule seven days a week. And it was never really, really clearly established why this was being done. Um, but it was just kind of, it happened overnight. Right. And the staff at that time were, were actually given the option of completing their contracts if they were still on them or being able to just leave without any consequences. And uh, I'll let you guess which option most of them took. Yep, that's right. And by the way, um, speaking with Catherine about that, she, she uh, and I having been in management at Big Blue, right, being over the personnel and and moving people around and all of that. Oh, were they pissed off that the staff were just allowed to walk? You know, they wanted to at least have those LA org staff members, if they weren't going to stay working at LA org, have them go over to Valley org or Orange County or Pasadena or something. Why you just let them walk and they, and they did, they just let them go. They really did. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering uh, if this would, if it would, if this sounds right to you, or if this sounds at all along the lines of maybe perhaps why there's this view from an inside that of Scientology specifically that some people are bad apples or bad eggs, or they are out ethics as they say in Scientology. And L. Ron Hubbard wrote some issues or advices they're called specifically for Los Angeles and for the LA org back in the early eighties, back after the, you know, when, when there was extreme paranoia within the organization about being infiltrated by the FBI or the police or something like that. And there was uh, notes from Hubbard that Los Angeles was the most out ethics city in the world. And so there's this idea maybe that, well, goodbye and good riddance. You guys weren't making it happen. You weren't expanding this church. You were you were only running it into the ground. So getting rid of you is actually a good thing. Yes, that is um, that's an astute observation because that's pretty much what it was. Okay. Now it was never stated out loud that that's the reason. Yeah. But as things trickled down, you know, when public start asking questions like, "Oh, why this happened? Why did that happen?" You know, you just kind of get a, get a remark that's offhand of, well, you know, they weren't really running it up to standards up there or something like that. Something snide and offhand. And then the thought-stopping mechanisms do the rest of the work for you. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's actually really quite something that the opposite world of Scientology can even rationalize getting rid of people in a group that is rapidly shrinking and needs more people desperately it becomes a feature that you're getting rid of people rather than, you know, the, the, uh, the bad news that it really is. It's, it's just fascinating how, how that happens. 
It is. And we made that point uh, last time yeah. that if Miscavige came out and declared a third of all Scientologists saying they were the reason we weren't expanding, the other two thirds would clap and cheer. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. So please continue. I just rudely interrupted you there. <laughs> Go ahead and continue. <laughs> no problem. So uh, LA Org switches to Sea Org. And this is kind of a big deal. And, and it's, you know, we're going to see what happens with this. And uh, everyone kind of, figures as to what could be the reason. Um, for a lot of public, they thought that um, it was kind of, well, maybe they're just piloting this so that they can really figure out what an ideal org needs, and then that can be pushed back down to um, the rest of the orgs yeah. so that this can sort everything out. And that idea kind of took hold when the statistics of the LA organization started to come out, um, specifically the gross income. Um, and, and by coming out, what do you mean? What happened? I would say within a few months of it being switched from a, uh, staff members to Sea Org Org, the gross income statistics were in the hundreds of thousands weekly. Okay, so basically the income just shot straight up and did the very famous uh, Miscavige straight up and vertical. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the graph just was like, whoa, look at that income. Whoa. And so clearly this was validated as the correct thing to do because the proof is in the pudding and look at what's happening. Well, it was used to validate everything. It was the it was look ideal orgs work, look uh golden age of tech two works. Um look, you know, management really knows what they're doing. And you know, I'm I'm sure that you'll laugh at this. How many times have you sat in a, com in, in a room or had the thought in your head, man, these class five staff, they really just don't know what they're doing. If we took it over, uh, we would really run it right. Of course. Of course we thought that. Absolutely. Yeah. So this was the proof, of, you know, the proof in the pudding, as you say, that, oh, wow, look, management really knows what they're doing. And the problem is these staff. Yep. And um, yep. so then it became, well, now we need to train the staff on what's happening in L.A. work. And truthfully, you know, LA Org at that time was packed to the brim. There were people in the halls auditing the, uh, SRD, that there were so many people on SRD. Wow. And when you walk through here without an understanding of what's really going on in this place, you think, wow, this is really incredible. Yeah. There were also a tremendous amount of Sea Org staff members that were doing their purification rundowns and doing their SRD and doing their own bridge and going clear. And again, from this outside perspective of a casual observer Scientologist, you think, wow, that's really amazing. Look, management's really taking care of the staff. Well, the actual situation is that over, uh, over that period of time, um, they were doing this whole chase wave thing. Mm -hmm. And what that basically entails is taking somebody and getting them signed up for a bunch of credit cards and perhaps a loan or two in a very small amount of time so that the bank's automated systems don't have time to realize that this person just got credit cards or loans from three other institutions. Mm. And in a lot of people's cases, when they start to do that whole cycle, they already have a bunch of debt and already have a bunch of credit. So what will happen is that they will transfer that credit to somebody else's credit cards, another public or even a, a CEO staff or staff member and that credit will sit there on their credit cards for a little bit so that the person's own credit score will then be um, inflated based on it showing that they've now paid down their debt. And then they can reapply for more credit cards. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, they completely fabricate information, put down on that report. You know, it asks you for what your income is. And they just put anything, anything they think they want to hear in there. Um, they would use certain, you know, certain things like, well, if it's some young staff member, for instance, that lives with their family, maybe an 18 year old, 20 year old kid lives with his parents, uh, they would put the entire household's income on that credit card application. So mom's income, dad's income, and the son's income, even if it was, you know, his org income of uh, what, two grand a year or something. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, and so that really allowed for people to get a lot of credit really quickly. And in addition to this, the way that LA Org was getting all these people to come 
um, for services is by ripping off the public of every ideal org and every service zone on the planet. That's right. And let's not forget that ASHO, the Sea Org organization right next door, has not been allowed to deliver its mainline services and all of its public have been floundering around. So most of them went over to LA Org. That. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a false expansion. It's really just a reshuffle of people. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it were a financial game, it'd be a Ponzi scheme in a way. That's right. Move around all the pieces to make it look like things are going really well. Meanwhile, you're just robbing people to pay Paul. Exactly. Great way of putting it. Yeah, so that's how it kind of started. And in terms of what happened first and who was really the first person to pull the trigger on this, I, I don't know. But I do know that once it took off and was successful, this became the standard. And, you know, if you understand anything about how Scientology applies conditions, um, their idea of if something worked, then don't change it. In other words, do that thing again. Yep. If it worked, no, no matter what it is or how inane or stupid it may seem, if it produced the results of the statistic going up, do it again. Um, so very quickly, it became the standard at LA Work, but that is how the registration was done. It was rip off public from other areas, call up some Joe Blow who hasn't been on services in 10 years because he has no money, and say, if you fly out to LA, we can get you uh, all of your bridge up to clear, uh, a place to stay in our beautiful Fountain Hotel, and everything you've ever wanted on 0% interest for the next 18 months. And that was a true statement. And people just went gaga over this because they thought it was all legit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was Public being presented. Realized they were they were diving headfirst into a criminal scheme. No idea. It was actually being presented as this is a really clever way that we figured out to pull one over on these suppressive credit card companies <sighs> that are really just out to get you. Right. But now you can you can, you know, the end always justify the means. That's right. That's right. Let me ask you something else about the uh, about something Catherine mentioned that I'm curious about if you have any firsthand knowledge of this. She mentioned something that really, really blew me away as part of this as part of these financial shenanigans was that they were also um, regging the public, selling, you know, uh, getting the public to just donate money to the church for nothing, for no, not for anything for that public person, but just throw money into a kitty, basically into a pool that was called, that was, that was invoiced under special income. And that pool of money was drawn from in order to deliver services to the staff and call it a paid service and get all the public statistical credit for that even though it's being delivered to staff members. Was that part of this operation in Los Angeles? Uh, absolutely. In terms of the timeline, okay. it started out as it was just targeting the public and targeting the public of all fields. Yep. And then when they ran through all of those people, then it was targeting the staff. And when you saw all these staff going up the bridge at LA Org, it wasn't out of the goodness of uh, old David Miscavige's heart. It was because they had racked up a personal credit card in order to pay for that service. Okay. Um, and then when that money ran out, then it became, you know, well, let's get the public to give us money for the staff. Right. Oh, isn't it so, it's so theta, we can get these staff moving up the bridge. And of course, the uh, the logic given to the public, who is then going to pay this, is, well, you'll get a big fat accommodation, and that'll look really good for you. And for a lot of people, especially ones with money to burn, that's worth it. Well, that's right, because those, and let's be clear, that it's not just a piece of paper, but a commendation in, in the Scientology world matters because you need to kind of build up a credit of good works that, you know, are contributions to Scientology because as you go up the bridge to clear, once you, once you get to clear, you have to get okay to get onto the OT levels. There's this whole process, these, all these hoops you have to jump through called OT eligibility. They don't just, you don't just pay your money and they give you the whole Xenu thing. You have to jump through a bunch of hoops and prove that you're worthy. And part of proving you're worthy would be 
having a nice stack of commendations that you've been a good little Scientologist and look at how much you've contributed to the organization. So that's, that's why this, they, these would matter to people. Yeah, the only, um, the only spiritual freedom that Scientology really sells is status. You can have status over your other members exactly. that are willing to pretend along with you. That's right. That's right. So, uh, okay, so please continue. As the rollouts happened at LA Award, where this became the standard way of getting money from public and staff and anybody that would give it to them, they also decided that it would be a good idea to train all the staff at Class 5 orgs at LA Award on these successful actions of theirs. Now, the statement that was given to the public as to why LA Ward was making so much money was not because of this chase wave, but they were claiming that it was because they had this CF system in place, that if, if only it were followed, um, every, every org could have this same amount of success. So this whole program was put together based around that idea. <laughs> of course it was. It had absolutely nothing to do with why the statistics were out the roof. But, hey, this is absolutely the reason why. Okay, here we go. What, what is the CF system? What, what is this thing that they were claiming was the, the reason? Essentially what it was, what the program entailed, is having a CF officer, which is someone who's over that area, and then having various different people to work in that area um, and a bunch of letter writers. Oh. And the main part of the program was letter writers. You had to have two or three full-time letter writers on post writing letters. And that was the key to the work's income, according to this program. Was writing letters to people. Wow. And, and explain, if you could, in your, in your understanding of this, what is, what is CF? That's essentially all the names that Scientology has collected on anybody that's ever made the mistake of purchasing a book uh, or giving their name to the organizations. And, you know, these, these numbers can range anywhere from uh, 20 to 50,000, maybe 75,000 in the biggest org on the planet of names that, uh, that have been accumulated. And most of these people, the, the absolute, I mean, 98%, 99% of them um, haven't set foot in a church in decades. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, just a just a quick note on this is um, every single organization has its own central file system, its own database, you could say, or index of of people who have purchased something from the organization. And if you want to know how I can say with such certainty, with absolute certainty, that there have never been millions of Scientologists or even a million Scientologists, it's because I happen to know, as do a lot of people that the largest central file, that the international central files, you could say, figure is not even a million names. Not even one million. It's like about 750,000. And that's the total of everybody in Scientology's entire history that's ever purchased something. So exactly. how could there ever have been millions of members if they don't have all their names and addresses and <laughs> information? It's, it's that those two things don't go together, right? There have never been uh, even a million of them. So that's, that's how we know that, by the way, just a little inside <laughs> baseball there. But uh, okay, so, so they were saying this whole CF thing was the, was the reason for this, and, and they were going to export this out to all the rest of the, the churches, yeah? Yeah, so essentially what happened is a program was created, and over a period of you know, several years, um, all of the class five staff members that could be sent to train to do that program, including the executives, were. And this, this wasn't something that was a completely new idea. They've had programs like that before. There was a program at the Dissemin Distribution Center where they'd have executives come and run through all the lines, and this was supposed to somehow teach them how to run an org. Um, but essentially what it was is people would show up, they would be told they need to learn all these things about CF. So they go through these files, they make some calls, they write some letters, and then they were supposed to actually reg someone, not for their org, but for LA org. So, um, which I'm sure LA was, you know, happy to have. Of course. Um, free, free labor. The, <laughs> exactly. Now in the beginning, the regs were kind of, you know, 
they guarded their secrets a little bit in terms of how, how are they actually getting this money? And so people that were in the training program, it's like you're doing all this CF stuff, but then you're kind of going, well, okay, well, how does this relate to making all this money? Like the people that you're regging are not coming from the CF, they're the local public or the public of other organizations. So this, this kind of became obvious. And eventually it got to the point where it was like, okay, here's how we're doing this. Um, and then it was taught to all these class five registrars, here's how you get this money. And here's how you do the whole chase wave thing. And of course they were getting that information from their own friends and family who were engaged in the, in those actions themselves. So it just kind of like a cancer, it just spread throughout the entire organization. And at every single level, this is how money was being used, uh, how money was being gotten in. Right. And um, where I think actually, where it got the most egregious, more than in uh, services was actually an IDOorg fundraising. Um, what happened? When you have a, a building that you're being told you need somewhere from 15 to 25 or $30 million, you know, that's a lot more than the, let's say, 350 to 500,000 it takes to get up to OTA. Right. And you have a group of people that number in the hundreds, in the low hundreds, to generate this money from. And it's, in the best cases, has taken decades. Mm -hmm. So here was an absolute godsend of a way to start getting money. And it just became a feeding frenzy. You know, there's a few people that are basically the ideal org registrars, and they are CR members that go around to all the different orgs and pump them up and get them going and uh, do all the fundraising. And when this whole chase wave thing became a part of that, it just became, uh, this is where people really got into trouble financially. Mm. And this is where the bank loans started coming in as well. Bank loans? Yes. So there were, I, I would, I would hazard a guess. I would say I'd be very surprised if there was a single organization in the last 10 years that was not funded with at least one bank loan obtained under false pretenses. And what I mean by that is people would get a loan against their business. Oh, saying that they're going to use loan it. was taken like a small business loan or something was taken out by a, by a public Scientologist. Yes. And then given to the organization. Oh man, that is so over the top. I mean, that's just straight up fraud. Just exactly. straight up. Wow. Okay. So they can get away with it on the credit card stuff for a while. But when that well ran dry, then it became, you know, whatever other means we can go for. Right. And again, I said, it's not just Chase. It was um, a lot of small credit unions were targeted, especially military credit unions, mm -hmm. Navy, federal, and uh, other institutions like that, that are really supposed to be for helping veterans. Right. And were just used to, you know, fund Scientology. Wow. Um, and in the case of in the case of the Chase Wave, specifically, Chase somehow caught on to what was going on and pretty much overnight canceled the cards of anybody that was seen to be donating money to Scientology. Mm -hmm. And that's you know that was kind of the beginning of the end. But essentially, over the period from 2013 until 2019, when it all came crashing down, this was the standard operating procedure on how to get money from Scientology public. And that has left people in a situation of absolute financial ruin. Right. Right. Because now they got to pay all this stuff back. Exactly. And it's, it's impossible for most Scientologists. Right. Because they were taking, to be clear, it's impossible because they don't have the income to service this debt. They were under the impression that they were going to that their income streams were going to blow wide open, that they were going to go clear and everything was going to be awesome and their life was going to change for the better. And instead, they piled in so much debt at such high interest that they ended up just going under. Exactly. And in another way, this is a, another way that COVID was a useful excuse for Scientology mm. to say, well, you know, I, yeah, you just went up the bridge and now you're 025 or you're 028 or whatever. Things aren't going so well. We'll take a look at the planet, buddy. Things aren't going so well out there either. You think you're exempt from that. And then, you know, thought stop it takes all the way down. Wow. 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 And I just wanna I just wanna say here, in case anybody's kind of wondering, and I'm sure you should be wondering, 
how did nobody say anything, right? Like it's such obvious and blatant fraud in some, you know, from certain perspective. How could somebody watch all this happening for years and not say anything? Well, I happen to know people did. I've talked to some people who were inside at the time, who were writing reports, who were trying to make some noise about this in, you know, in Sea Org members at PAC, at, at Big Blue, who were watching this and going, this doesn't look right. I don't think this is right. They were plowed over, just mowed right over. Just it, You are the problem. We're not the problem. What, what's happening is not the problem. All this money coming in is not the problem. Credit cards aren't the problem. It, you're the problem. You need to shut up and sit down. And exactly. that's how they were treated. So, yeah, anyone that spoke out against it was told that they were basically counter-intention yep. to Scientology's success. Because why would you be against something that's so obviously so helpful to so many people? Exactly. You know, there's the same logic that's used to attack anybody that says anything contrary to the propaganda that Scientology puts out about itself. Yep. So it's really a, yeah, it's a situation that you just cannot win, in. and. Right. Even the public that are talking up against it, you know, many of them would eventually acquiesce and do it themselves. Wow. Because wow. it just becomes, uh, you know, when you have years of pressure. And there were people that, quote unquote, uh, by raising their necessity level, in increased their income. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe they doubled their income and, you know, their, their debt was quadrupled. So they're still far worse off than they were with no debts and half the income. Exactly. Exactly. This is really the, <laughs> it occurs to me right now, Hubbard, Hubbard famously called Scientology the only game where everybody wins. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, it's actually the only game where everybody ends up losing. <laughs> everybody loses in this thing, you know? Wow. Exactly. Wow. So where it kind of, and you know, I, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. There's so many examples, but just, just for a second, just imagine the lives that this has ruined. Yeah. The amount of people that are in financial, desperate financial situations, we're all in that situation, even those that have never been in Scientology due to the circumstances of the planet right now. Um, and then add on top of that, having hundreds of thousands in debt for some of these people yeah. and really no option out of it and really no financial literacy, no understanding you know, they didn't, they don't know what got them into this really. And they don't know how to get out of it. Right. Right. So that's the position and where it came crashing down was basically in 2019. Um, I've made this point before that I think Miscavige lives in his own bubble world within the bubble world of Scientology. He doesn't really see what's going on because he doesn't really get reporting, uh, accurate reporting on what's happening. Mm -hmm. And anytime he shows up somewhere, everybody stands up straight and puts on their best face and does all that. And so in order for him to discover something, quote unquote, going wrong, um, he has to kind of find it by mistake. Now, when I say something going wrong, I mean, I don't mean somebody misapplying policy, he couldn't care less about that, or anything like that. I, this is not a defensive miscavige. I mean, for him to find out something that's a danger to him, he has to really, really, really dig. And that's essentially what happened here with this is uh, he dug enough and somehow somebody slipped up and he saw what was going on. And then overnight, all of the registrars on the planet were taken off the post. Wow. I mean, yeah. it's unprecedented. It, it, it just never, nothing like that's ever happened before in Scientology's history. Exactly. What did um, people think? Well, people knew what happened. Okay. It was, it, nothing was ever said about it officially, but it was pretty obvious what was happening. And when it got to the point of actually shutting down, you know, we, we call it the chase wave because suddenly all these public Scientologies, a wave of them didn't have their chase cards anymore. Right. And if they called to find out why it was, well, because you've given money to the church of Scientology. So if, if nothing else, that would tip them off. And it was, it was pretty well known to the public what had kind of happened, um, but not to the extent of what really went on behind the scenes. I mean, the, these registrars were, you know, there was no RPF anymore at the time. So they were essentially just sent back to the EPF, mm. but in a kind of lowered state than that, and were essentially just made to do hard manual labor um, forever until, you know, somebody decided what to do with them. 
Um, exactly. As Catherine said, they were. This was also the all the finance network staff and right. all of the ideal org mission staff, the the missionaries, the Sea Org guys who were out on projects at all of the orgs all over the world. All of them got pulled back at once. It was a massive, massive reorganization. <clears throat> right. And another thing is that, you know, understandably, a lot of these people that were just ripped off of their um, positions and put in these lowered positions uh, wanted to leave. Hmm. But many of them, especially the registrars, were told that if you leave, we will turn over. We will essentially report you to the police. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's new. Wow. Reverse a little reverse blackmail. <laughs> Jesus. Well, okay. it's uh, to me, it's an empty bluff mm -hmm. in that if they ever did that, then they would have to admit to having evidence of it and hiding it. Exactly. So they're never going to do it. Exactly. But the CR guys yeah. don't know that because they're in a position of, you know, traumatic bonding to the Sea Org and to Miscavige and stuff. They're, you know, they're not thinking straight with this. So, of course, that probably had had some teeth to them. Exactly. It did. So I think. There is, again, to illustrate the uniqueness of the situation, let's say there's even just 100 people that have intimate knowledge about the crimes that were committed yep. that right now are in the position of believing that if they spoke out about that, they would have no protection. They don't know about whistleblower laws. They don't know about the protections that would be afforded. They don't know that the government would cut a deal with them right. if they really could expose this information. They think that if they leave the organization, they're going to go to jail. Right. That's right. That's where so how long can that plays on their ignorance? Yes. And I wonder how long that lie can be kept up. How long until someone breaks? Right. And well, leaves. Exposing it here will absolutely help get that out there. So this is so this is really good knowledge to have and, and to be making public. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, in terms of what I think the overall outcome of the chase wave debacle will be, I think it's really just one factor in a number of things that will lead, lead to the, hopefully the death of Scientology in the terms that we talk about it in. Yeah. Uh, rendering them inert, making them unable to do anything. You know, if Scientology were caught up in fighting legal battles for the rest of their existence, that would be one way to, to do it. And um, if they lost their tax exemption, which I think this would be grounds for them to lose it, yeah. If, if somebody on the inside that has intimate knowledge that was right there really does speak up and, uh, you know, turn over evidence, then that, that could be a, a massive blow. Yeah, big time. Big time, I think but, it could be too. Yes, so that on top of the COVID thing, on top of everything else that's going on, puts Scientology in this complete and utter limbo, this kind of situation where everything is in a stasis, but you're being told that everything's still moving. It's so clearly not, you know, it's, it's very clearly dwindling. It's very clearly uh, not the thing that it was once was that's palpable to all public Scientologists. Wow. And I think more than now, it's, it's like, it's a, you can, you can kind of sense that now. It's in the air. You could cut it with a knife. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, it's something that's hard to put into words, but it's, I hear you. Let, let me ask you, let me, let me go back on the chase wave thing for a second, because there's one other aspect of that I wanted to ask you about. Um, wasn't there, was, can you explain as you saw it or understand it, what this thing was with these bridging loans between Scientology public? I'm sorry, uh, state that one more time for me. Yeah, there was a thing called bridging loans, or there were public loaning other people money to cover. Was that cover? Was that the business where they were sort of balance transferring money from one to the other, or was there something else involved in that too? Essentially what that involved is, to, to put it in a specific situation, yeah. let's say you have someone who signs up for a credit card. And that credit card is going to be delivered uh, next week. And it is Tuesday, and you want to get that money in by Thursday. Mm -hmm. Bridging essentially means getting some other source of income that the org can then take in and accept that isn't from that credit card that you have to wait on. 
And then once the credit card comes in to replace that money that was taken out. Okay. So yes, they would have sort of a special income account that public would pay into. Um, sometimes it would be done with a public's credit card where the, you would have a different public uh, pay for that person's auditing only for that amount to be balanced transferred to the new credit card once it came in. Okay. Okay. Of course, there were also personal loans and all kinds of shenanigans between people to try to get money in for various different things. Right. But the, the basic idea of bridging is, like you said, give us a bunch of money. We'll put it in an account. We'll dish it out as we see fit. You'll get it back. Don't worry. Um, and you'll get a bunch of commendations. So basically, if I understand these terms properly, a way of describing this might be that each church, through this special income pool of money that they were setting up, kind of became their own little credit union. In a way, yes. I wouldn't say it was so formalized. No. And it was kind of ad hoc. But, but, but in a way, they had this pool they could dip in and use at their discretion to give credit or, or cover people for things, all so they could have statistics on Thursday at 2. Every week. I mean, I mean, this is a church. This is supposed to be, I mean, you, I mean, it's just, it's so far beyond the pale. You know, you just can't even imagine a church. I, I, anyway, other than maybe some televangelists, I could see televangelists pulling this crap, but you know, otherwise this is just the farthest thing from religious activity you can imagine. It really is. And more and more, you know, Scientology in itself is moving farther and farther away from the delivery of service. Not that I think that's uh, a bad thing, necessarily, Um, but that is what's happening on the ground level. There are fewer and fewer people getting, actually moving up the bridge and more and more people just giving straight money. Um, Whereas now, the, like you said, you know, the pulling in the flippers and going after the whales, I think we see so much evidence of that occurring. The fact that that Miscavige is exclusively in in Florida, um, the fact that these events are being held there and not really widely broadcast you know there's no real news about maiden voyage or whatever's going to happen with that and everything is just kind of uh left to the rumor mill of public scientologists to figure out what the hell is supposed to be going on now oh now that is very interesting let's go ahead and segue over to this that's a great way of uh transitioning over to the view on the ground right now because as we are recording this right now, it is it is uh, in June, right? We're in the last uh, uh, third of June now. And traditionally, around this time of the year, all of Scientology is abuzz with news about the anniversary of the maiden voyage of the Free Winds, right? The ship that sails around down in the Caribbean area where they deliver OT8. And that ship first sailed, I think, back in 87 or 88. And every year they commemorate that with a series of events held on the free winds where Miscavige goes and gives a, about three or four briefings. These are recorded and they are sent out to all the Scientologists all around the world. And this is a really big deal. And they couldn't do it for the last couple of years because of COVID. I heard they were doing it now. But it's so interesting to me that there's no word about this anywhere. There's no buzz. Well, if you recall from the birthday event, there were no statistics presented on the birthday game. Right. And Miscavige's offhand response was, we're working on that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we haven't had time to get that all set up. Now, I don't know about, you know, if we just apply some basic logic to this, the fact that the orgs were closed for seven months of the year, I don't know how those birthday game statistics are really going to look. And I, I don't know what they're going to do about that. Mm-hmm. They may just not present them at all mm-hmm. and not say anything about it. And that's more and more how things are going. It's just all these things are happening. All these things are changing. You have no idea what's going on. You could show up and it's one way. You can find out it's a different way. More now than ever before. And, you know, I mean, the fact that that uh, masks and gloves are still being demanded to be worn by the staff at Flag, even though the public aren't wearing them, and they're still spogging with these seven, spraying their shoes, doing all this just insane behavior. It's like, I really have to ask myself, how much longer can this go on for? How much longer are people willing to put up with this nonsense? Right. You know? I, I, I have to wonder myself, of course. And the more, 
you know, uh, as we've said, you know, the more uh, that people can see that this picture is so much not what they want it to be or should be, you know, the 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 more people are going to just sieve right out of this place, you know. Um, but the lack of any sort of, I mean, the PR, the internal excitement that is generated around the events, around new releases, around Miscavige's briefings, this is really, this is, this is important stuff for kind of the glue that holds this whole thing together. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm so fascinated right now that they're not even trying to, to, to do it. They're not even like really making a whole lot of effort, it sounds like, at, at promoting to the public now it, what what sense do you get from that that it's that there's just confusion there's just nothing or there's something coming maybe what is anybody talking about this i would say that overall scientology right now lacks a unified front that it has maintained for so long okay um miscavige is you know hold up and, and flag and um, we do have these trainings, the Golden Age of Africa trainings, mm -hmm. that are busy doing their thing. But everyone is kind of in limbo. Everybody's waiting to see what happens. And the, the promised Neverland here of the Golden Age of Admin may still be months or years away. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if, I really believe that all it would take is a few of these people on the financial debacle and a few of the people that were kept prisoner and locked up during the COVID quote unquote quarantine protocols, the zero members, if just a few of those people came out and spoke out, um, anonymously or otherwise, it, it could really start an avalanche. And that's really my hope here is that we can we can start a bit of an avalanche. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I would certainly love to see that. And I will say that um, you know, as I think I've mentioned before, um, I've been busier with Scientology stuff in the last few months than I have been in a few years. I've just with people contacting me and giving me information or, 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 uh, whatever. So how interesting, how interesting. Yes. In terms of, um, possibly a bit of a teaser for next time as well. I'd like to talk about the Sea Org members that replaced the regions and how that whole shuffle around was done and really what has become the new chase wave. Of course, it's, it's already in place. It's far less successful. It's not really bringing in money. But what I mean by that is just some kind of weird shenanigans in a way to get people to uh, give more money to Scientology. Wow. Wow. I am interested. I, I would like to hear more. <laughs> so we'll talk again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Excellent. Um, mm -hmm. Any other questions on anything I've stated so far? No, I guess I'm just um, curious. Okay, so have, you know, another um, event that I am curious if they're going to be bringing it back this year, if you've heard anything at all about it, uh, the CC Gala. I haven't heard anything. Nothing? That, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's died. I don't know that that's even an event that's going to happen anymore. Maybe not. Uh, I really do think that it's it's hard to illustrate how diminished the numbers are. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was always a it's all it's been empty for a long time. But even those that are there now um, are it, you know it's not the exciting Scientology that it was five years ago or even three years ago because there's no money anymore. It's down to the few people that have any cash left, and everybody else is just stuck, kind of waiting around until they can pay off their debt. Wow. Wow, what an interesting picture you paint, and 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 I'm really glad that that this is this way, of course. Excuse me, and I am, um, I don't know. I just find that kind of exciting. <laughs> Actually, I just don't know what else to say. That's just very good news to me. That's exactly how I would like to see things, you know, because uh, no matter how many concessions they make or little changes they try to do, canceling the RPF, you know, trying to not be so harsh with forced abortions or whatever, trying to tone down the disconnection, they still can't change their nature. And I keep coming back to that as, as what I constantly sort of circle around with groups like Scientology is 
by their very nature, these are destructive cults. They can't help but be what they are. So the idea that they can change to a kinder, gentler version of themselves and still keep going, it just doesn't work that way with these kind of outfits, you know? And, and that's why I think the destruction is inevitable, uh, even if it's going to take a lot longer than all of us would, would like it to be, you know? So I'm, I'm encouraged by all of this. This is good news. Yes, and I, I think another thing, you know, there's quite a bit of talk on, especially among the people that consider themselves psychologists who left the organization, which uh, another subject entirely. But that the idea that Miscavige ruined everything and if it was just done the way Hubbard had said to do it, it would be perfect. Right. You know, to that I would say Scientology today is not as it's written, but it is exactly what it was intended to be. Yes, I would agree with that. Yes. It is the destructive organization that it was built to be. Yeah. It may operate in a different way, but it is doing exactly what I'm intended. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Totally. Okay, well, I guess we will wrap up for this week. Thank you very much for uh, for coming around and, and uh, chatting with me this week, Insider. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely, guys. And uh, out, our guys out there, I should say, the, the, the people who are listening and watching, thank you also for coming around and listening. I hope that the show was entertaining, informative, and educational for you in terms of what's happening with Scientology these days. And, uh, well, you know, some, uh, some indications of where it might be going. And on that happy note, we will wrap up this podcast this week. I will see you next. Bye-bye.